Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Welcome to Women on the Line, Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Program, produced and presented in the studios of 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm Marie Nord. On today's Women on the Line, you'll hear an interview with Aboriginal advocate for incarcerated women, former prisoner and pioneer Vicky Roach, about her experiences with the prison system and how institutionalisation is imposed on Aboriginal women at a young age. Later, I speak with Emma Russell, who's the co-coordinator for the Centre for the Human Rights of Imprisoned People Project at Flatout. Flatout is an advocacy and support service for criminalised women or women who have had contact with the criminal justice or prison systems in Victoria. Emma explains why Flat Out is calling to end the process of strip-searching women in prisons, as well as what abolition would look like in an Australian context. This show will feature discussions on domestic violence, incarceration and other triggering topics throughout. Please contact support services like Lifeline on 13 11 14 if you're feeling triggered or would like some support. Vicky Roach starts by explaining an example of a case of domestic violence. Well, I just watched a video this morning of an Aboriginal woman who'd gone to the police so many times um, to tell them that her husband was threatening her with knives and um, machetes and all this type of thing. Mm. And they virtually ignored her and um, he eventually killed her. Um, What justice would look like would be that um, police would respond appropriately um, at the first instance of these sorts of things. Um, we know how, how violence escalates. Uh, we know that it, it, it gets worse with time um, to the point that where so many Aboriginal women, are, are their domestic violence escalates to fatality. Mm. They're, they're killed. And I think the police don't take Aboriginal women seriously or think it's none of their business. That's that's a real shame of the thing. Um, and look, I've experienced that myself. Um, I received a blow to the head with a big heavy glass ashtray and um, I had a concussion and very deep gash in my head. And uh, the police came. One of the neighbours had called them, and they told me to get back inside and behave myself. You know, that's that's the type of thing Aboriginal women are up against when it comes to to domestic violence or family violence. And if the police don't respond appropriately um, to our complaints and to our concerns, these things are going to continue to happen. Mm-hmm. The, the the government, federal government has to put money into into women's refuges, places where they can go to escape. This, this woman that I was talking about in the video, she had seven children. So, of course, no refuge was going to take her. Mm. She had too many kids. So mm. There was no room, no room at the inn. And uh, as a result, this poor woman died, brutally yes. stabbed in front of her daughter. Mm. And that was, again, the police not responding appropriately. There had been several serious threats. Can you imagine that mm. like, that woman had children 
um, all of them will have been scarred for life. The little girl that actually missed her mother being killed. Um, who knows what will happen to her as she gets older, mm. as she grows and, and, and sort of realises, understands what actually happened. Many of us here are all on the same wavelength, but then there are representatives of government as well. Mm. And I hope the message gets through their ears um, that we need more funding, that, that we need more programs and, and more um, refuges mm-hmm. for women and their children to go to. You know, this is, this is not one of those issues that can be swept under the carpet mm-hmm. anymore, as domestic violence always has been. Mm-hmm. It's right out in the open now, and we need to do something about it. Well, the barriers to justice for Aboriginal women are predominantly the judicial system, which um, stereotypes Aboriginal women. And um, we're, we're criminalised for, for much much more minor offences than the average woman. Two white girls walking down the street, maybe sharing a, a beer or something like that, mm. would go unnoticed. Two Aboriginal women, however, doing the same thing on the other side of the street, would be pulled up and possibly arrested for drinking in public. Um we are criminalised for more minor offences, um, leads to prison. Um, and, of course, often, like especially in my case, um, I was criminalised at the age of two when I was taken away from my mother. They charged me with being uncontrollable, neglected and exposed to moral danger. And I was, neglect- I was neglected by way of destitution. You know, it was pretty hard for two-and-a-half-year-olds to get a job in those days. (laughs) Every time I got into trouble at school or didn't clean my room properly, it would be a phone call to the child welfare. Next minute, I'm in children's court getting charged again with the same three things, uncontrollable, neglected and exposed to moral danger. And eventually that led to girls' homes. More of the same, I started running away, more of the same. And as soon as I got into any real trouble, like committed an actual offence, I went straight to prison. I was only 17. I wasn't even old enough to go to prison. That was Vicky Roach ending on her own experiences of incarceration and how early that began for her. This episode of Women on the Line features discussions on domestic violence, incarceration and other triggering topics. Please contact support services like Lifeline on 13 11 14 if you're feeling triggered and would like some support. Women's on the line. <laughs> oh, women on the line. Women on the line. <laughs> <laughs> Now we hear from Emma Russell from Flatout, which is a Victoria-based advocacy and support service for women who have had contact with the criminal justice or prison system. Emma explains why Flatout is calling to end strip searching in women's prisons. The call to end strip searching in women's prisons particularly, but also obviously more broadly, has been a very long-standing campaign in Flatout and um, yeah, amongst a number of women involved with the Flatout, it's probably been running for at least a decade, but even longer. Um, The basic um, analysis of strip searching in that context is that in any other context, that would be classified as a sexual assault. So 
yeah, we're putting it out there that strip searches are a form of sexual assault and particularly when um, we're considering the case of women in prison, we know that women in prison overwhelmingly have prior experiences of victimisation, either family violence or childhood sexual abuse or um, a number of different forms of victimisation. Um, and those figures are between 60 and 90%. It's hard to obviously get a, um, a solid figure, but we know that it's the majority of women in prison have those experiences. Strip searching is a very potentially triggering and re-traumatising experience for women. And the way that the prison um, would justify it is as security or as a way of seizing and controlling contraband. But actually, we know that strip searches, routine strip searches, are a very ineffective means of um, preventing contraband in prisons. We know from different trials that when strip searches have been reduced, or in the case of the prison in Canberra, the Andrew McCogney Centre, um, They've eliminated routine strip searches and um, there's been no impacts on the amounts of contraband that come into the prison or that are seized and even results in urine testing that show that actually less dirty, quote-unquote, urines come back. So strip searching can actually have um, a counterproductive effect whereby the re-traumatising effect of strip searching um, will uh, lead to women needing to self-medicate through drug use or whatever other means. So, yeah, we would advocate for an end to strip searching, particularly in women's prisons. Prison abolition is a scary buzzword for many people. Emma from Flat Out explains what it could look like in an Australian context. One thing that I think is important to think about that um, Angela Davis has pointed out is that um, yeah, often that question arises of what is the alternative then to prisons? And she says that there could be no one alternative to the prison because that would just be another form of the prison. We need to completely reframe how we think about harm and violence in our society and also how we conceptualise safety and inequality and its ties to inequalities. So she talks about it in terms of a constellation of alternatives. So that would be around... Um, guaranteeing housing for everyone, um, welfare, health, education, um, drug and alcohol supports, mental health supports, you know, the list goes on. Basically, all those fundamental um, basic social supports and community supports that are needed for healthy, safe and thriving communities that would reduce the incidence of harm and violence. And building on that, another um, important point to make is that I mean, particularly in the space that we're working in, in terms of women in prison, the majority of women are in prison for non-violent crimes. So the majority are in for drug-related offences or um, breaches of justice, such as, you know, parole breaches or um, fines, things like that. Um, So the majority of people in prison, um, the question really isn't necessarily about violence, it's about how do we better support those people in the community And then, of course, when the question comes up about, you know, what do you do with the rapists and the murderers and that kind of thing, like that real issue of violence, and it's obviously very topical at the moment in terms of family violence and gender violence, which is a massive issue that, um, you know, historically prison abolitionists have been criticised for ignoring the real um, impacts of violence in people's lives, but particularly in women's lives. 
Um, the thing to think about there is whether the prison actually is an effective response to violence. So we would say that the prison as a violent institution attempts to respond to violence through violence. So um, the prison is an inherently masculinist and patriarchal institution that um, basically fails consistently to rehabilitate or reform any violent individuals. It, uh, we'd say that it actually exacerbates that problem. And, you know, like, for example, um, America has, you know, more than 2 million people behind bars. And so, you know, obviously if the prison was an effective response to violence and, you know, what's termed crime, then, you know, theoretically the US should have the lowest violence and crime rates in the world, which obviously isn't the case. So I guess it's it's not an easy question to answer, but there's a number of different angles that you can begin to untangle the the perceived utility or importance of the prison and begin to think about how it exacerbates harm in our communities, exacerbates inequalities and, yeah, ultimately is an, an effective response to harm and violence and inequality, which is what it's been used for at the moment. So I know Flat Out works specifically with women and I know that Flat Out has been um, in Melbourne especially, like at the forefront of discussions about prison abolition amongst other things. There's a really quite, I think, simple ideal that Flat Out works with and that is that women are the experts of their own lives. But that obviously doesn't play out within these massive institutions um, that are inherently oppressive to women and especially women who experience the intersections of race and class and queerness, all of that. And so how does Flat Out work with that in, in a really like thoughtful way and the way that Flat Out's been working with it for the last, what, 25, 26 years? Yeah, definitely. Um, that's been a focus and priority for Flat Out for, yeah, since its um, inception in the late 80s. And um, I guess on two levels. So on one level, if we think about um, public debates, um, even currently around... Um, imprisonment and you know there's been um, significant public discourse recently around the need to reduce imprisonment numbers and I think you know those debates are important and it's great that they're out there but one thing that is crucially missing from those debates often is the voices of imprisoned people themselves but particularly imprisoned and criminalised women and part of Flat Out's work is to support and perhaps better enable women who have been criminalised and, and or experienced imprisonment who are at a place in their lives where they can speak out and want to speak out, um, yeah, being able to support women to do that. And that's really important. And it, you know, obviously has its challenges and there's a lot of misconceptions and stereotypes about criminalised women in the communities and you know, also as as a label, ex-offender or whatever, um, you know, there's a lot of barriers or risks for women for speak, to speak out because, um, you know, if they speak out as a woman who's been in prison and um, is condemning the prison system and her experience or her mistreatment throughout that system, that media won't disappear, like, any time in the future if, um, you know, a woman wants to apply for a job or whatever, that that is something that might come up. So, you know, there's very real risks to balance and there's different strategies we have for managing that and um, often protecting women's confidentiality will be um, a priority. In other cases, like, you know, fabulous advocates like Vicky Roach that um, you've spoken to, you know, she's very um, 
out there and um, fierce and draws on her lived experience in ways that really strengthens her advocacy and, and that's incredible. And, you know, not all women will be in that position, but there's sort of different ways that we can try and insert women's expertise into those debates. And then secondly, um, the way that our flat out outreach workers work in supporting individual women um, upon release from prison um, they work in a way that really centers women's self-defined needs so rather than imposing um, sort of tick the boxes measures of success um, it'll really the focus will be on um, working with the woman to figure out what her priorities are and how long she needs support and that will really dictate the way in which flat out workers will work to advocate and support support her. On community radio around Australia, you're listening to Women on the Line. Go to womenontheline.org.au to download this week's program. Don't forget, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. A problem that I know a lot of um, activists and advocates and people working within systems of incarceration and imprisonment and face is like the models and the reform that folks put together, they're often taken on board to an extent. For example, in a detention centre, if people decide that unaccompanied minors are not actually, you know, studying, for example, and they're not learning, and then they bring a school into the detention centre, it actually strengthens that institution, doesn't it? And it, and it, and it makes it a lot stronger and it makes it a lot difficult to um, critique. How do you guys even work with that? Yeah, I think it's a really ongoing tension that yeah, it's really hard to resolve because obviously um, the conditions inside those institutions have very real impacts on people's mental health, on their, you know, well-being and livelihood and the opportunities they might have upon release. And yeah, obviously that has re- very real impacts, um, including, you know, people's survival, like, you know, deaths in custody or a huge ongoing issue and the conditions inside institutions are directly related to those um, processes. So I think we can't completely ignore the conditions inside prisons, of course, but, um, yeah, at the same time, like you're saying, if we continue to invest in improving those institutions, it's going to make them, yeah, harder to critique and harder to get rid of because people's energies and funds are being poured into those institutions. So, yeah, it kind of increases their permanence or their relevance and um, makes them appear more responsive and appropriate for different populations. And it becomes a lot harder to untangle and critique in a lot of ways. But, you know, like the classic sort of saying is that the history of the prison is the history of reform. So prison reform has been part of its program since its inception and, you know, the prison is still looming large and it's stronger than ever and more people are being imprisoned than ever before. And, you know, last week we saw that 123 new beds are going to be built in the women's prison, um, Dame Phyllis Frost Centre, the maximum security women's prison in Melbourne, um, in the coming year. And then today I find out that there's actually going to be an additional 44 beds to that, um, that are mental health designated beds. So, you know, expansion is happening so rapidly in this state in particular and it's kind of hard to to take stock and be like okay how do we interrupt this and um, how do we do so in a way that you know ensures the well-being and survival of people inside at the moment but that means that more and more people aren't constantly being funneled through because we know as soon as the beds are built they're going to be filled.
So, yeah, it's a it's an ongoing tension and there's not really an answer, but I think it's really important to be aware of that dynamic of reform and legitimacy and expansion and try and think of ways to continually bring it back to how do we get people out of prison, how do we stop them going in, how do we restrict the prison's capacity to destroy people's lives, basically. So earlier you mentioned Angela Davis, and of course um, Angela's quite vocal and quite central when it comes to discussions on prison abolition. How has international like abolitionist movements informed the work that Flat Out continues to do? Yeah, immensely. Um, there's a conference that's been happening for quite a long time now called Is Prison Obsolete that Sisters Inside in Brisbane organises and um, yeah, Angela Davis and um, Gina Dent and um, other international advocates and activists like Kim Pate and Erica Miners and Cassandra Shaler and other critical resistance folks from California um, have been coming out to and sharing their insights and their learnings from different campaigns in the States and um, different incarceration trends and their analyses. And, yeah, it's it's very inspiring to be um, connected to an international movement because often... You know, within these spaces in Australia, um, you know, the the dominant discourses are around reform, you know, and so, sure, you kind of look a bit crazy if you're constantly banging on about abolition and the need to end prisons. I guess it can start, you know, it can feel a bit isolating or if you're the one out there trying to hit people over the head with that message, it can, yeah, weigh you down. So I think for Flood Out it's been incredibly important to have um, international support and yeah, to reap the benefits of all the thinking and the activism um, and the advocacy that's happening in different contexts that have similar circumstances. So recently Flood Out's been working on a submission to the Royal Commission into Family Violence, which people are probably following quite closely and listens to this show. Basically, we have created a submission that focuses on the experiences of criminalised women who um, are also experiencing family violence. And we collected a bunch of case studies from um, workers in the community sector um, about the barriers and the systemic biases that criminalised women are experiencing when trying to access support and services for family violence. Um, but also the way that family violence is a massive contributor to women's imprisonment. Um, So some of the things that we've found are massive systemic issues are the way that police respond to family violence calls when a criminalised woman makes the call or a woman with a criminal record, either through inaction, like a failure to respond or ignoring um, her request or leaving the scene without um, taking any action, or um, expressing bias or um, or actually misconduct as well. And one thing that really came out was that um, in a lot of cases, if a woman makes a report for a family violence incident of which she's a victim, if the police will look her up and see that she has um, an outstanding warrant, the woman will actually be arrested for you know, whatever minor incident that her warrant has um, eventuated out of and the family violence incident will be unaddressed. And so it creates a situation where women seeking to access support and protection from 
family violence will actually be recriminalised and potentially re-imprisoned. You know, and there's a bunch of stories like this that we've collected of police misconduct and bias, and it's really alarming. Also, we found that women who have drug dependencies or who have you know, what might be called complex support needs may be excluded from family violence services or shelters, which, yeah, is also really alarming and indicates that there's real gaps in those services and those services aren't always catering for criminalised women. But then, and this is where the call to end strip search demand comes in, um, since we know that overwhelmingly... Um, the prison is incarcerating women that have experiences of family violence or of childhood sexual abuse. Um, the re-traumatising effects of imprisonment obviously having detrimental um, impacts but also, you know, re-traumatising or triggering or extending that experience of um, violence and victimisation for many women. So um, we're calling for you know, the government to take action on reducing the numbers of women that are going into prison and putting a moratorium on prison beds because we know that once the beds are there, they'll be filled, Um, but also to cease the practice of routine strip searches, of which there's excellent precedents for and um, would be a cost-negative approach for the government to actually begin to address women's trauma. And also we're seeking... Um, a further investment of specialist services for criminalised women experiencing family violence. Flat Out facilitates training workshops specifically about women's experiences of incarceration and the prison system and how different populations of women go through these systems. Emma explains more. They've sort of developed over the years and they've been run through the Centre for the Human Rights of Imprisoned People at Flat Out as a way of, I guess, sharing information and skills and um, doing public education around imprisonment issues, basically. But I guess as the the programs developed over the years, um, yeah, all the sort of intersecting issues that um, play out in the imprisonment space and who goes to prison, yeah, have become increasingly visible or um, the need for education around a wide range of issues has sort of... Um, yeah, become more pertinent to us. So, you know, we've done trainings recently around transgender issues or anti-racist training or um, advocacy around older people's needs, you know, just trying to think about um, not only different populations that are targeted and impacted by imprisonment, but also um, different frameworks that we can use to think about how um, the prison incorporates a bunch of different kinds of oppressions and amplifies them, whether that's, you know, heterosexism or racism or colonialism. You know, we need to think about these problems in an interconnected way and how they all manifest in the prison space. So um, in an upcoming sense, we have one training on um, Friday the 5th of June and I believe there's a couple of spots left, so... um, please get in touch if you're interested. But um, yeah, the Friday 5th of June training is on disability rights, feminism and self-advocacy. And uh, we're hosting trainers from Women with Disabilities Victoria, which is very exciting. And then we have another training on Friday 17th of July, which is called We Were Never Meant to Survive, Racialized and Gendered Violence Through and Within Coronial Inquests and Official Processes. It's a long title, um, but it's being trained by Charindev Singh, who's 
um, an incredible advocate and got depths of experience in imprisonment issues and coronial inquests and both of those trainings are going to be fabulous and it'd be great if people wanted to come along, visit our website, which is floodout.org.au and that's floodout, one word, and the details for registering are on there. Otherwise, you can um, get in touch by emailing admin at floodout.org.au as well. That was Emma Russell, co-coordinator for the Centre for the Human Rights of Imprisoned People project at Floodout. I spoke earlier with Aboriginal advocate for incarcerated women, former prisoner and pioneer Vicky Roach about her experiences with the prison system. For more information about Flatout, visit flatout.org.au and follow them on Facebook. You can also access information about Flatout's training on their website or email admin at flatout.org.au. Women on the Line is Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs Program. It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. We greatly appreciate the financial support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email at womenontheline at hotmail.com. Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from our website, womenontheline.org.au. The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by Litig. Thank you for listening to Women on the Line. I'm Arij Noor and I hope you can tune in again next time. Well, cool, Charlie, cool, Charlie. Did you forget the Charlie? Was I-